the, the past several weeks, we've been looking into uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, uh, Pastor Casey preached about being the salt and the light of the world. And uh, if you remember, she used some props um, to remind us of the importance of not losing our saltiness. Um, not letting our testimony get, get watered down. And, and if you weren't here last week, I'd strongly encourage you to go online and listen to it. Uh, she really did a great job. Uh, and we're also called to be the light of the world. And um, what does that mean to be the light of the world? Well, it means that we should reflect and reveal that God's way is better than man's way. Now, let me repeat that because that's important to have in the back of our heads as we go uh, dive into the message this morning. As Christians, it's important that um, if, if, if we're going to be the light of the world, it's important that we reveal and reflect that God's way is better than man's way. All right, so today we're going to build on that, and, and we're going to head into some more of Jesus' teachings. Um, Moving forward in Matthew 5, moving forward in the Sermon of the Mount, we find that Jesus has six statements that begin with, you have heard, or it was said, and they're followed up with, but I say to you, right? And so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and scribes uh, who were religious leaders, and, and they had this external list of rules uh, that they were going to obey and they were going to walk in. All right, they had like 613 commands, the, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, all right? And they all kind of stemmed from uh, this selfish interpretation of the law of Moses, all right? And they kind of judged how they were doing with God by how well they obeyed these rules. Um, but then Jesus shows up and Jesus changes everything. So his primary role, Jesus' primary role in the, in the rest of Matthew 5 is to correct the teachings of the Pharisees and scribes, right? So what was happening at that time is that the Pharisees and scribes were essentially uh, putting like a fence around these issues as to say, as long as we don't go inside this fence, as long as we stay within our boundary, uh, we can continue to do whatever we want. We'll, we'll be okay with God, right? And what it allowed them to do is uh, essentially legally justify acting at times in a really selfish way. It was like this special legal system that, that they created and they taught. Um, so they started with the law of Moses and they built on it to kind of serve themselves. And, and to justify their selfishness in a way that they could still feel good about how they were doing with God. Okay, that's the background. But what do we know about Jesus? We know that Jesus is not after the law. Right? He's not about us uh, white-knuckling our way through life and trying to um, follow this rule or not do that. Right? He's not about that, but he's about us being transformed uh, in a way that, uh, that we would then choose to live out what's right, right? Not have to, but choose to. And through Jesus, we're empowered to live out that way. 
we're empowered to be the light of Christ, to reveal and to reflect that, that God's way is better than man's way. And we're called to uh, line ourselves up with what the Lord says, with what the Lord says. All right, so, um, so Jesus corrects them. Jesus corrects the Pharisees and scribes. And remember, he, he just gets done teaching them the importance of that reflecting and revealing that God's way is better than man's way. So here we go. Um, so of the six corrections that Jesus goes into today, or that Jesus goes into, the one that I'm going to focus on today is found in Matthew 5, 31 and 32. And it was said, remember that's how they started, and it was said, so that's what uh, the Pharisees and scribes were teaching, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, or this is Jesus teaching now, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the cause of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So you understand now why I said that this text might get a little bit challenging in here for us this morning. Right? And before I go any further here, I want to make something perfectly clear, that my heart behind this message is that as believers, we would just shine in our demonstration of Christ's love. And that um, we would just shine in our calling to enhance the kingdom of God and to bring him glory. Right? So in a society where uh, divorce is so common that hardly anybody thinks of it as a tragedy anymore, except for the ones that are going through it, of course, I don't think that there's a better way to show the light than through our marriages, which can be and need to be so selfless and so humbling. And in order to do that, we need to keep our focus on what God has laid out for us. All right, so that we don't lose our saltiness, so that our our testimonies don't get watered down so that we can reflect and we can reveal that God's way, God's way is always going to be better than man's way. So that's what I want to dive into this morning. And what I'd like to do is start by looking at what what God's intention was, what, um, what his creation was and his desire was for marriage. Um, and then from there, we're going to take a look at what happened, how it, how it got messed up, and, then, and what led to Jesus needing to come in and correct what the Pharisees and scribes uh, were teaching. All right, so let's map this out. In the beginning, in the beginning, in Genesis 2, we're told that God the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, for marriage, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is Genesis 2. This is creation. This is a fundamental piece of God's design. All right? So it, it helps me. I'm a visual learner. So it helps me to try to picture God in the process of creation. Almost sitting there thinking about how is this all going to work? And how incredible is this going to be? 
And he gets to creating Adam. And he sees that Adam needs a companion. So he takes a rib, right? And he creates Eve. And then immediately after that in Scripture is where we hear about God's plan for marriage. That man and woman will leave their mother and father as two individuals and come back to being one flesh, one unit. You ever have those moments where you're working on something really important? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's for your job or uh, a, a sales presentation, whatever it might be, and, and you get done with it and you nailed it and you're just like, did it? Right? I, I got to think that that's how God felt after creation. I mean, it, and, and after marriage. And, um, you know, I know maybe it's silly to try to put ourselves um, in God's shoes, but his creation was and is this masterpiece that he just got done with. And then sin entered. And then hearts were hardened. And before long, there was this crisis that was taking place in, in the land. And, and men were leaving their wives for little or no reason. And the woman, who had little rights during that time, were left out in the cold. And if they wanted to, uh, they wanted to get remarried, they could be accused of adultery. Uh, and oftentimes they were because they were married and now they weren't and nobody could prove otherwise. And so uh, one of the resulting consequences of being convicted of adultery was being stoned to death. All right, so this is a pretty big problem. Uh, this is not the design at, at, at all. Women are being killed and children are then being abandoned. So God steps in and through Moses creates some laws so that the crisis could be managed. And that's found in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. All right, so the first thing that this law did was to make sure that if the men were leaving their wives, uh, that they gave her a certificate of divorce so that woman could show that they were not guilty of adultery, right? And then the second thing that this did was to go on and say that if they're going to get a divorce, there's no going back and forth and trying other people and then, you know, here and there. Right? It seems to me like an attempt to, to try and reiterate just how serious this, this commitment is, this covenant is between two people. So God permitted divorce. And I cannot imagine the ache. I cannot imagine the ache and the ache that sin was causing. So the Pharisees and scribes 
then take and they interpret the law of Moses to mean that as long as they follow this rule of a certificate of divorce, we can do whatever we want, right? We can continue to live in that, that selfish way. And Jesus comes in and corrects them, and that's what's going on in this passage of Matthew 5 that we read. So Jesus gives the, the Sermon on the Mount, and he gets done with that, and, and he's headed to Judea, and he is um, he's healing people, and there's crowds all around him. And the Pharisees and scribes come up, and they try to test him. All right, And so in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 3, like I mentioned, Jesus is heading into Judea, and some Pharisees come to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. Because that's essentially the Pharisees' interpretation of the law of Moses. Right? They had skewed it to satisfy their selfishness while trying to maintain this justification by law to God. So Jesus says in verse 4, Haven't you read, Jesus replies, and he, and he takes us back to creation. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what does Jesus say about divorce? What God has joined together, let no one separate. So the scribes, as they continue to test him, say, well, why then did Moses command that, uh, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. I notice the twisting of the words here. The Pharisees said, why did Moses command us to do this? And Jesus replies, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And we know how adultery was treated back in that day. Right? I mean, it's certainly changed now. But, but what Jesus is saying here is that he wants it to seem impossible. And we also see how God views divorce in the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. This is God's message uh, through Malachi to the people of Israel. And this is from the message, and I, and I don't... Uh, typically use the message, but I think it provides a useful interpretation. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Do you know why? Simple. Because, because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows. You've broken the faith bond with your vowed companion your covenant wife. God, not you, created marriage. His, his spirit inhabits even the smallest 
details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children. Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So we're not, um, we're not going to dive into a theology teaching this morning about uh, whether or not it's okay for someone to get divorced and remarried um, or anything even close to that because uh, there's many theologians who have differing opinions and stances on it. And, but mainly because I personally think that any discussion into what's okay and what's not okay in regards to divorce and, and remarrying can essentially set the table for us to be able to justify it ourselves. And then we become like the Pharisees and scribes and we miss the whole point. It's so much easier for us to follow a set of do's and don'ts because then we can maintain this focus on ourselves. Then our hearts don't have to change. They, they can remain committed to ourselves. We can be as selfish as we want to be as long as we don't go inside that fence that we put up, right? The problem the Pharisees and scribes had is that the focus was on themselves and not God. And it's the same problem that we struggle with today. God's design is not to just bring two individuals under one roof. God's design is, is not to bring two incomes together to, to get a better handle on the bills or to get a leg up in life. Okay, guys, God's design for marriage is that man and woman would become one flesh. And his design is that he would be at the center of it. The focus, that our focus in marriage would be on, on him and that our purpose in our marriages would be to enhance the kingdom and bring him glory. And when two become one, there's a covenant, a covenant that's made before God, a covenant for richer or poorer sickness and health, and then it's sealed with what God has joined together, let no man separate. So that's why Jesus wants to make this impossible. Paul gives us a picture in Ephesians 21 through 33 of what the relationship between a husband and wife should resemble. And we'll pick it up in verse 28. Uh, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body men we're we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church we're called to love our wives as much as we love ourselves and wives are called to respect their husbands 
This is what our covenant to each other as husbands and wives looks like with, with a focus as, as one flesh or a symbol of unity and being the salt and the light of the world. So what does God's covenant to us look like? God's covenant love is unwavering for us. And even when we're unfaithful to him, he's faithful to us. This is a ferocious commitment that's bound by the blood of Jesus Christ for those who have put their faith and trust in him. That's what a covenant looks like to God. So what I want to ask you this morning is where's our focus? Is it on us as individuals? Or is it on him? I know this is tough. I struggle with selfishness every day. Ask my wife. Right? And I struggle with justifying things every single day. All right? Marriage is tough work. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. We need to be transparent with our spouse. We need to ask for forgiveness. And we're called to extend forgiveness. And we're called to extend grace because of what Christ did for us. And because we've committed in a covenant to becoming one flesh. We need God in our marriage, at the center of our marriage, and as the focus of our marriage. And if we do that, it is never too late for God to bring restoration and transformation in our relationships. There is nothing that's too big for God. And if two people are focused on Christ and are willing to put in the work, God is more than willing to do the rest. And he is more than willing and more than capable of restoration and reconciliation. It's so important for us to realize that God's ways, again, are always better than our ways. There was a time... Um, in Leah in my life that we were just about as far from united as you could be and we were headed into a really, really dark and dangerous place. We were not on the same page. I was living one life and she was living another life and we were like ships passing in the night. And it was only by the grace of God that we were able to work through things. And it was because we had the body here at victory that we could still feel loved and encouraged and accepted through such a trying time in our lives. I had some addiction in my life that that I needed to work through amongst other things, and and she was in a season where she just felt so alone. 
And all she wanted to do was try and fix me and change me and help, help us. But Christ was really just calling her to dive in to a deeper relationship with him. Christ was telling Leah, look to me. I've got this. And so with prayer and commitment from each of us to make Christ the center of our marriage and of our lives, I can stand here today and I can tell you that there's reconciling power and restoration in Jesus Christ, but it all starts with us. It all starts with us owning our own parts in it and turning to God for forgiveness and grace. And he answers with his, his covenant love for us and his ferocious, his ferocious commitment to us. So we're going to worship a little bit more to close the service today, but if you would do me a favor, if you're married, would you just stand for me so I, so I can pray over you? And if you're here with your spouse, um, if you would just hold hands. And, um, for the rest of us, uh, if you would just join me in standing and just go ahead and, and either lay your hands on, on, on one of these folks or extend your hands to them while I pray. Father, we thank you for your unwavering commitment to us. We thank you for, for the design of marriage, God, and, and we thank you for working in our lives. We thank you that there isn't anything that we've done that you're not bigger than and that you can't restore. And God, we thank you that when we fail and we sin and we mess up and we fall short, God, that you still love us and that your promises for us don't waver. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do now what only you can do. There are some of us in here who are really hurt and really banged up, and there are many of us couples who have come in here today who are struggling because marriage is tough. There are men who have come in here today without their wives and women who have come in here today without husbands. And I pray that you would just do a work in us, that you would minister, that you would stir, that you would draw near, and that you would remind us, God, of your reconciling power. And I pray that you would bring peace. I pray that you would bring life into marriages that have long lost it. And I pray that today would just be a commitment to you and the gospel that we would mirror men and women of covenant because you are our covenant God. And I pray that we could shine our light to reveal that your way, God, your way is better than ours. We thank you that you're a God of reconciliation and love. Holy Spirit, just ignite in these couples a devotion to you, a devotion to your plans as you've made them one. We praise you in that there isn't anything that we've done that you aren't much, much, much bigger than. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.